Hello, everybody. My name is Ben Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here with Tuna from the American Divide, and we are going to talk about cancel culture. Yay! <laughs> well, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. All right, I have a very, I would characterize it as a nuanced take, okay? Okay. And my nuanced take, first of all, okay, I don't care about what happens to Roseanne Barr or Mr. Potato Head or what's the, what's the skunk? Uh Oh, Pepe Le Pew. I don't care about that. My I wife's pretty care. upset about that. Okay, okay. I do, however, care a lot about the about the the thirty year old in HR or at the you know whatever who said something ten years ago, and somebody went on the warpath and decided this person should be fired because ten years ago they thought X. Sure. <laughs> Well, I think that the real issue, and I'm not going to defend the right, but I think sometimes uh, the right has, sometimes the right is correct in some of the things they think, you know, but um, I guess uh, I should remind your listeners if they're, uh, if they've heard in the past that I've been on your show before as a uh, libertarian and um, my, my stance although conservative in many ways is not entirely conservative and, and therefore the cancel culture thing to me is, is uh, kind of near and dear. Cause I think it's getting really abused right now. And um, I think that it's, it's getting out of control and, and this is the slippery slope that, um, that the right has warned us of. And I think that it's, you know uh, it's just, it's getting, it's getting a little out of control. <laughs> okay, let's go over. Okay, because podcasting is forever. So let's go over exactly what the cancel, cancel culture is. Because I can't even get somebody to tell me what it is to where I agree with it. Well, I guess the uh, the notion is, is there's bad words. And, uh, you know, like, I guess... Uh, my reference would be the book 1984, where there were the thought police and you're not allowed to think bad things or you'll be pr imprisoned for it. Now, that sounds like a very extreme idea, but as of right now, people are actively going out of their way to find um, so-called racist people or people that they don't agree with and they're doxing them and they're contacting their employers and having them fired. Like you mentioned the person at HR, the 30 year old that said something 10 years ago. And, um, that's a little extreme for me. You know, I, I, I have strong views on, on why I think it's necessary to actually believe it or not, let people openly express themselves, even if that is very extreme. Okay. Uh, what are the, would you mind going over that? Well, so, so like for instance, if we look at social media 
And in my eyes, if we start deleting people because they post racist stuff or discriminative stuff, homophobic, xenophobic, you know, whatever, we all know these types of people. And in my eyes, I'm not entirely for that. I I think that's a bad idea because as of right now, if there's a person that I may know that has these ideas in their head, I want to know about it. And the easiest way to do that is to pull up their social media account and take a look. And, you know, so like, uh, for your listeners, I'll, I'll, you know, explain that I'm, I'm a white man married to a black woman. Uh, We have interracial children and I don't necessarily want (laughs) racist people to be hidden. And, and that's kind of, the double-edged sword of what this cancel culture is causing. You're, you're causing hateful people with angry thoughts to go underground and, and it's not really solving the issue. So, so I guess the first, the first real question is, is you said, what, what is cancel culture? And to be, to, to be specific, cancel culture is just erasing somebody's social presence because you don't like the way they think. And, and it's a double-edged sword because as of right now, it appears mostly right-leaning people are being canceled. But what's going to happen when the shoe's on the other foot? It could suddenly get real ugly. Well, the other thing, I mean, the thing that you said as you were talking, the thing that I, I guess that I thought about or that occurred to me is the hypothetical where you take somebody who might be, I guess, slightly racist or whatever, and then you put them in Facebook jail or worse, you, uh, you know, there's actual real world consequences to their, to some meme that they posted, right? Sure. Where they, where they lose their job and whatnot. And then all of a sudden they've gone down to, to Reddit or to discord or whatever. And, and Reddit is like a tangled mess, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so to me, that's kind of the same issue we have with the prison system is that when you start, when you take a person, I, I personally believe when you take a person and you say, Oh God, you're a racist. And you start pushing these things on them, they may have been on the fence about some borderline um, controversial ideas, and you may have just pushed them over the other side instead of winning them over with, uh, you know, like normal debate and conversation, which is what I think is, is the healthiest way. Now, as an example to that, I'd like to reflect on Daryl Davis, who I think is an absolutely phenomenal human and, doesn't get nearly as much credit as he should. I mean, this is I a man. I think I know who you're talking about, but why don't you tell my listeners uh, who you're talking about? So Daryl Davis is a uh, a black jazz musician. He sometimes plays country music. And as a, believe it or not, as a hobby, <laughs> he took it upon himself many years ago to start having conversations with Ku Klux Klan members. And... I mean, as he says it, and he's written books about this, and he's done some uh, documentaries. People have 
followed him around to see if this is what he really does. And, and believe it or not, he's a black man that attends Ku Klux Klan rallies and has open conversations about race issues and doesn't get offended when somebody says something highly offensive to him. He just debates them in a cordial way. And in the results are is that he has converted more Ku Klux Klan members than anybody else in the entire country. Like, like hands down, like he's, he's got a collection of Ku Klux Klan uh, wardrobes that he wants to start a museum and explain that this is a part of American culture. And I think he's an extremely fascinating person, but the moral of what I'm saying is, is here's a man that is talking to the so-called enemy. So if there are hateful people out there, I think instead of attacking them and accusing them of being bad people, you need to realize that they're humans and they need to be talked. You need to talk to them and work through the issue. Well, one of the things, I mean, one of the things, and I agree with you, but one of the things I think that this whole rhetoric of cancel culture and whatnot either ignores or gets around or whatever is how we even got to this point, which is that Facebook or I guess if you want to start with Facebook, but really I guess MySpace or whatever you want to call the first social media platform that was a social media platform that people used. Sure. Right. Um, I don't know if you want to say that's Friendster, MySpace, whatever. Sure. They started with a sort of like a terms of service. And I think we need to remember, and this is something I talk about in my podcast a lot. uh, We need to remember that we're now, okay. If you started using Facebook in 2005, right? Sure. You've been using Facebook for Six, 16 years. Right. And say you were a 16-year-old in 2000. Wait, okay. There was college kids. So say you were 18 using Facebook in 2005. Today, you would be 31 or 2. Right. Yeah. You're, you're making me do math now and that's going to be well, hard. Okay. So <laughs> here's what I'm trying to say though. Right. The problem with Facebook, the problem with all this is that it started as this is for kids. Right. Sure. And we're still using it as adults or more squarely adults. Right. Sure. And you might not want children to talk about racist stuff to each other. Right. That, that's not, Nobody's saying, hey, let's let's have an honest dialogue about racism as kids. Okay, nobody's saying that. At least I'm not. But, like, they never really bothered to update their terms of service or whatever. And I think a lot of this, um, Chris, I think a lot of this had um, – it caught um, Zuckerberg off guard, I guess. I don't know. I, I've been trying to do a little research because you now you you think that it hasn't changed, but I think that it's changed drastically. So like 
what I'll say is I, I recall that there used to be an age limit to the people that could use Facebook. You had to be an adult. You had to be 18 years old. And then, then it seemed like at some point they changed the rules and they said, all right, we'll let children on there, but we need to verify their age. And, you know, adults can't mingle with children and it, and it shouldn't be like that. And it seemed to me that the more corporate it became, the, the, the more relaxed it got. And I believe, and, and it's just a theory, it's just me thinking in my head, I have no evidence to prove this, but I think that, I think what happened is a, probably a school shooting or a bullying uh, incident of some kind occurred and somehow Facebook got sued because somebody blamed Facebook and said that, well, or Facebook or Twitter or social media I, or whatever the I case may be. I swear I remember that. You know, I, I kind of vaguely remember yeah. it, but I can't say it for a fact because I can't I can't give hard evidence of when this occurred. But I believe this was a, a repercussion uh-huh. of a bullying issue. And and then the rules suddenly changed drastically and the algorithms are there to catch, you know, key words and phrases and and now now it's it's so absurd that let me give you this as this is clear evidence of um, the computer is not as intelligent as a human it's it's just not there yet and I am currently on a thirty day ban on Facebook because <laughs> I was having a political conversation with somebody about the history of the Bill of Rights and. They were they were trying to inform me that this is uh, the Bill of Rights came from the French Revolution and some other places where people pulled these ideas from. And in my response, this is what got me banned, is I said the average American is ignorant to that. And honestly, it is irrelevant to their life and therefore they don't particularly care as to where it came from. And I got banned for saying that, which I don't think... I don't believe that I was insulting Americans myself, (laughs) but, but this is what, this is what I get banned for. I get banned for having conversations and I believe, and again, I can't prove this, but I'm, I've been banned so many times that I think that I'm on a watch list at this point where there is a special algorithm that keeps an eye on my account and and guys like me. And if I say certain key (laughs) words, I believe that it like they instantly ban me and they say it's bullying or it's uh, hate speech. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't know why this is hate speech, you know, and I can't appeal it. You know, it says uh, when I attempt to appeal it, it says we're understaffed because of COVID-19. And therefore, this is going to stick. You can use your account again in 30 days. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, they all I mean. They they probably always say that before COVID was a thing. I mean, yeah, I think all COVID really did was was give them an, an excuse or whatever. Sure, but I mean, I mean, I've got a story. Okay, I've got a story. Um, I put out a podcast, or I didn't put it out. I recorded a podcast with a fascinating lady, um, who shall remain nameless, but. She is a legal, I want to say the word legal pot grower in California. Sure. And I mean, 
we had a fascinating conversation that we kept trying to have in a certain way because okay i live in a beat red state okay it it voted for biden this time but that's because that's because of reasons that i don't really want to get into right now <laughs> but um, okay usually it's pretty beat red all right sure uh I was amazed to learn that there is a brand new law that says I can interview a drug dealer. And that's my First Amendment right. Okay. okay. And I can put that on the internet and nothing's going to come out after me. All right. There was a little bit of a gray area with California about her. But where, where Apple was, was like, no, you can't put this on Apple. Right. Not only can you not put this on Apple, but we'll take down your whole show. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is clear evidence of, of cancel culture. Exactly. You know? Okay. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it's, um, I think it's quite alarming to even say that you can't have this conversation, you know, like the moment so as a libertarian, I have often had people argue with me about the merits of Facebook and what they're legally allowed to do with their private property. Because as it stands, imagine if Facebook was a physical location where people could go. And, it, and if it was, wouldn't that mean that it falls into the category of being private property and they can do whatever they want with their private property? As a libertarian, we typically believe this. That's that's kind of one of our key philosophies is it's your land. You do what you want with it. Okay. Um, the problem is, is it really has become so intrusive on the First Amendment that I don't necessarily believe that anymore. And, and I, it took me a while to really think about what that means because if we followed that rule we could say the same thing about cnn or fox news or you know they're that's their property and they can say whatever they want and do whatever they want and there's well, nothing we can do about it the bad analogy that's that's terrible and breaks down instantaneously right <laughs> is uh so dave Chappelle did a skit uh 20 something years ago Sure. Where like what what if the internet is a place, right? <laughs> and Dave Chappelle went in, went to a mall and the mall was the internet, okay? Right. And it was hilarious. Don't get it twisted. It was hilarious. But he had a point back in two thousand or whenever it was, the Chappelle show, right? He sure. had a point. And the point was that this mall is gonna cut this thing called the internet is going to cause people to to think about things in ways they don't want to think about right yep and i'll give you i'll give you a, a better example so let's say you take you have, you have kids right y yes i do okay let's say you take your kids to the mall right and you see some people you see some racists right wearing uh Klansman shirts at the mall, okay, or, or something, right? Something you don't want your children to see, or you feel uncomfortable your children seeing that, or whatever, right? Sure. Um, in the analogy, 
in a mall, like you would either you would take your kids around, you would take them away from those people, but you might call the mall, right? You might say, hey, mall, what's going on here? <laughs> right. Especially if there's more than a couple. Right. I, I guess it comes down to um, philosophical ideas, you know, because I am the kind of person that believes in personal responsibility and unless they were doing something illegal, I'll be honest with you. I think that they have a right to do and say whatever they want. And, and then this is, this is when people get a little turned off by, um, this is one of my libertarian ideas, honestly, is that I think if you want to walk down a street wearing a swastika on the front of your t-shirt and you want to pretend like you're a little mini Hitler, I think you have the right to do that. I think, I think you're going to offend people because there are people that their relatives experienced extremely nasty things. And, and that is not going to be a funny joke to them, but I believe in personal responsibility. If you, if you, if you decide that that's what you want to do, you need to accept that there may be consequences that a very large Jewish man may punch you in your face. <laughs> and you know what? If I'm standing there and I see it happen, I'm going to think that's just a little bit of street justice. But in our society nowadays, it appears that we are going very far away from personal responsibility. And, and it's a particular issue that I think needs to be addressed. You know, you asked me if I have children and if we were walking in a mall and I saw, uh, you know, a group of skinheads or whatever racist people around, you know, a particular store that I want to take my kids in as a responsible adult and my children, I wouldn't go near them. I wouldn't interact with them or pick a fight with them, you know? And, um, I'm a little bit of a hothead. I'll, I'll admit it. So like if, if they happen to say something nasty, you know, to my children or wife, I would probably react like a soldier does. I'm, I'm a U.S. Army veteran, but that's not the answer. That's that's I have to be responsible for myself. I can't stop these people from being who they are or thinking what they want to think. And, you know, when I see a, a person that is full of hate, and wants to blame a whole other race of people or ethnic group or religion or whatever the case may be, gay people, sexual identity, whatever. When I see people that, that hate a whole group of people, in my opinion, I see a person that is not taking personal responsibility for their shortcomings in life. You know, if you are more focused on success and creating whatever that may be for yourself, I think that you wouldn't have enough time to sit around and blame a group of people. Well, right. I guess like, okay, well, like I keep, like, I guess we keep circling around. The analogy falls apart because yeah. it really doesn't work in the physical space. Right. Yeah. Any analogy we can come up with, like you wouldn't, I, you know, you probably wouldn't take your children through a group of skinheads to go to the movies or whatever. Sure. <laughs> but um, where you would. Uh... Well, OK, let me ask you this, though. What if. OK, so 
going back to the 30-year-old, okay, the, the hypothetical 30-year-old that works in accounting, who 10 years ago might have thought something that today would put you outside of certain people's version of polite society, right? Okay. Okay. What if that 30-year-old, instead of posting a couple funny memes about, I don't know, whatever, right? What if yeah. they were harassing somebody? What if it was like a clear case of harassment like 10 years ago? What about that? Well, do you see what I mean, I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely do. And there's definitely something wrong with it. But in my mind, 10 years is a long time. 10 years ago, if we're using that number, 10 years ago, I was a drug addict, you know? Okay. My, my life has changed drastically in 10 years. So I am not a fan of social media, specifically going back through people's accounts and finding <laughs> stuff from years ago that somebody might have posted. I mean, let's, here's a prime example. If we're going to dive into people's histories and start picking people apart for the things that they've done in their past, are we really a society that believes in the judicial system that once you've paid for your crime, it's done? Or the other point of the matter is maybe it's a statue of limitations thing. You, you asked about harassment. And in my eyes, if somebody was harassing somebody 10 years ago, I think that the time has come and passed for there to be any repercussions for that. Now, if it happens nowadays and you're harassing somebody or stalking them or, you know, doing something illegal, I think yeah. in, in a more modern society with a more modern judicial system, there should be probably a better checks and balance system to, to, um, provide some kind of, um, I don't know, uh, social justice or, or not, you know, like, I know that's a hot word right now, but I'm thinking like, you know, I know, like, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like there should be like, you should go back and you should say like, okay, you said this 10 years ago, but what were you saying? I don't know. Before, between now and then. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it. people, people have changed drastically, you know? And, and in my eyes, I just think that, you know, I grew up in the nineties in the nineties. It was not uncommon to call people, you know, to call other guys that I grew up with the big F word or call them the Q word. And, you know, right. it was in the nineties, every rap song used the word fag and queer. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. very common word in our knowledge. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to go back in the nineties and just start deleting all of the music that was ever created? See Here's what I think the real issue is, or one of the real issues, okay? We're, 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 we're not thinking about this as, like, you can be a person in a bedroom, like a normal human in a bedroom, and have this huge podcast, right? We're, we're used to thinking, like, oh, you've got a record company behind you, right? Or yeah. you've got, <laughs> you know. Like you've got something else going, like some corporate thing behind you. Sure. But I think the other problem is we always, okay, we've always had, here lately, we, we've always had, um, like, okay, 
Edward R. Murrow had free speech, but he also had to get through CBS or whatever it was, NBC. I don't know. Right. Right. Same with Tom Brokaw. Same with whoever. But now all you have to do is type stuff out on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. And I think what we're discovering is that before you, you had the, the, the corporate overlords, but it right. was more hidden, right? Where now it's not really hidden. Okay. So you're saying uh, the technology changed where we once used to get media from the media. And nowadays, uh, let's be realistic. If you want to know what's going on in your neighborhood, you typically log into Facebook and see what your neighbors are talking about. And um, that's how you right. get your news nowadays. Or next door or whatever. But also, like, you got to think, like, like, I, you know, there's a guy in one of my podcast groups. There's a guy that has 24 million listens who does this independent podcast about God knows what. Yeah, like, I'm 24 jealous. Million, 24 million listens is a heck of a lot of. That's a big number. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know what he talked. I can't remember exactly what it is he talks about now, but it's probably it's true still. crime. Them guys are killing it. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is like when I say when I always say like I have a podcast, everybody asks me like what murder you solving? <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the popular thing nowadays. If you're a podcaster, yeah. you're probably a true crime po- podcaster or you're not very successful. Well, what do you think about? So I said right up, right up, right up front. I don't much care about uh, whether or not uh, Doctor whether or not the Doctor Seuss people uh, pull unpopular Doctor Seuss books um, or Pepe Le Pew. But you said your wife has a problem with Pepe Le Pew uh, being censored. Uh, well, so what are, what's your take on all that? <laughs> Well, my wife was joking because um, my wife was making a joke about the fact that Pepe Le Pew was chasing a cat. Um, they say that Pepe Le Pew was pulled because he was a womanizer and he was overly, um, you know, he was he was pushing, I guess, toxic male ideas. You know, he was he was being very forceful with the woman. But yeah. my wife jokingly said, well, she lied. She put a stripe on her own back and. And then had the nerve to like turn him away because he smelled like a skunk. And, you know, like, so it's all my wife was just like tongue in cheek making jokes about it. And, um, you know, like my wife and I think I think relatively similarly, you know, like and and the thing is, is with like the Dr. Seuss and I don't I don't particularly like it when people think it's a great idea to erase history, you know? And this is what I'm getting at is they are still printing copies of Mein Kampf and other really radical books that people can read freely. You can go to your library and read some nasty stuff. And I think in my opinion, and I'm a nobody, I'm not the CEO of Dr. Seuss or, or whatever company owns those books, but I think that you shouldn't pull the books. I think you should just simply put out a statement that you don't believe in these ideas and and they are from a different time 
where this was more socially acceptable and we maybe put out a, a blanket, you know, apology and, and state that this is not the way we conduct business nowadays. And I think that that would be more heartfelt than, all right, give us all the books back. We know that these are bad and we're just going to, you know, go out into our uh, town square and burn a bunch of books because they're racist. Yeah, they are racist. I, I saw the books. I know what they're, they are. They depicted black people as, as monkeys, honestly. And, um, is it offensive? Uh, yeah, it is offensive, but you know what? It's, it's still there. It still happened, you know? So, you well, know what they say, man, you're, you're a history, you're a history buff guy, right? Oh if yeah. We, we are doomed to repeat it if we don't remember it. Right. Right. And I, okay. To I, here's what I think. I think some corporate people, um, acted super safe, right? Yep. Cause nobody wants to, nobody wants to be right. The, uh, Nobody wants to be the guy who, nobody wants to be the company that some mass murder, you know, whatever. And they, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to be whatever. Um, nobody is taking personal responsibility. So I agree with you. I think that this, I think you're absolutely right. I think this was an executive decision by a bunch of, uh, you know, board members. And they said, uh, well, I'm not going to stand in front of the cameras and make an apology. So what's the next best thing we can do that kind of makes us look like good guys and we can keep the money rolling in, you know, and corporate greed wins again, you know, and I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm not going to totally, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's such a double edged. I'm a capitalist, but I'm not a corporatist, you know, I mean, I got, I know what you mean, you know, I know but, what you mean. Yeah. Corporate mentality has driven our country to divert from morals. You know, we used to be moral people and made moral decisions. And now we do not. I also think part of the problem. And I really wish people would would talk about this like adults, because I really do think going back to the Dave Chappelle funny example. Hmm. Um, there is something going on with the internet that we don't have an answer for, right? Because we haven't really figured this out. Because everybody thinks that everybody, like this whole setup, is supposed to work because you're like you're supposed to be a reasonably sane, intelligent person on the other end of that smartphone, right? Yeah, what that's if what they want. Oh, that's the ideal world. Okay, sure. But what if you're the guy who is in a frenzy, right? I, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of see like, I see your side and, but I also like, because I've, I've read crime stuff and I've, I've, I've looked at legal cases before. I also kind of see, you know, if the right person ends up in the wrong courtroom, a whole lot of things are going to happen. <laughs> sure. You know? <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I mean... Just saying. Well, and it is a double-edged sword because, you know, like, I guess I have a, a relatively conservative um, 
opinion on, on cancel culture as a whole. I mean, I know it sounds very harsh, especially being that I'm married to a black woman and have mixed children that people would, people are probably cringing right now thinking, dude, I don't know how you can socially accept <laughs> racist people. I, I'm telling you right now, I have race, racist people that live on the same street as me. I know it for a fact. You know, I don't know it for a fact. I just, I'm assuming like all Americans do. <laughs> it's a good assumption. It's a, it's a healthy assumption. Yeah. But I'm this is saying. the thing. I am of the mindset because I grew up, uh, I was just taught the way I grew up that you had to confront your problems. You can't run from them. You can't expect the government or, you know, a, uh, a private corporation to fix it for me just because you put your head under the blankets. The monster didn't go away. It's still right there. And maybe the monster got bigger is what you're saying. I am. And I think that that's more scary to me, you know, is, is if you close your eyes, the monster might get stronger, may go find some friends, may go buy a bunch of ammunition and guns and start plotting very evil things. I would rather see the monster and know where the monster is. And I know that sounds crazy. And, and there's a lot of people in the country that would probably think, you know, you're nuts. But if my neighbor is a neo-Nazi, I would rather be able to find his Facebook account and see that he definitely promotes some crazy ideas. But at least now I know where he is and what he thinks. And I can keep my kids away from his house. But right now, I don't know. I have no idea. Because right. the Internet now looks safe and happy. Well, and the other problem, like the other problem that I've noticed because, and I don't want to call it, it's because these people, it's because people on Facebook don't really want to engage in political discussions anymore. Yes. So, so you don't have, you, you have people going all the way to one side and people going all the way to the other. And they can't have a conversation like with the middle. <laughs> well, I think, I think the problem is, is hmm, I think the problem is, is people on the internet can't hear the answer. So I can type to you. I can oh, say, I know what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's a <laughs> lot of misunderstanding because if somebody disagrees with you on the internet, they may be saying it in a friendly way. They may say, you know, Ben, I don't agree with your political opinions, but the way they may hear it in their head is, Ben, I don't agree with your opinion. And it sounds much different. It sounds angry and hostile. And therefore, the mudslinging begins, and he's a liberal snowflake, and he's a dumb Trump supporter, and, and then it just turns into this huge mess and the conversation never occurs that should have occurred. You know, it should be a civil conversation. And I don't think the Internet is capable of it because we just can't hear each other's voices. Well, until, okay, until now, because oh, sure. you're coming through my desktop. <laughs> well, um, you and I, you and I uh, decided to do a, a very expensive hobby and it turned into, uh, you know, I think it takes a lot of open-mindedness to be guys like you and me. You know, we are willing to have conversations with people 
I don't think, and I know this sounds a little pessimistic and I, you know, forgive me for that, but I don't think the average person wants to engage with the so-called enemy, you know? They want to live in their bubble and they want to be safe and happy. They want to go on Facebook and see kittens and their family members eating cheeseburgers on 4th of July. And everything's great. As far as I can see on on Facebook and, and Instagram, life is just dandy, you know? But that's not... The civil rights didn't get, you know, no movement at the civil rights occurred under normal happy circumstances it was a very uncomfortable time you know and it is now it is now and people need to acknowledge it and people you know uh right wingers over the last year were very upset at all the riots and me being a conservative person i was a little upset too but now with some reflection I think to myself, this is the only way progress is going to happen, is if you really upset some people. Well, right. I mean, I I agree with that. That First of all, I think that... I hope that um, we can have honest dialogues about why some of this some of the thinking behind cancel culture happens, at least with people like with humans. Right. Sure. But also I think that you're not going to solve any problems by telling somebody or by putting somebody in Facebook jail or by whatever. Right. Well, I mean, as of right now, it looks like, to, to some people, this is solving the problem. They don't see me anymore. They don't see my offensive content, which I don't think it's necessarily offensive. I think, I think sometimes I make crude jokes and maybe people don't like that. But, you know, I, I wanted to be a comedian. You know, I, I started podcasting because I originally wanted to tell jokes. And I've come to realize that this is a horrible time, in my opinion, to be a comedian, you know, especially with conservative ideas in my head. I, I think that if I stood on a stage right now and said some of the ideas that I have, I think I would be crucified for it. <laughs> and um, it's it's a bad time, man. You, you can't speak your mind. You can't even make a joke. A lot of the stuff that I've gotten uh, banned off of Facebook for was literally mocking the idea that I was being accused of, you know, you're calling me a racist, but I'm making fun of racists right now, you know, like Bill Burr, you know, like, um, yeah, actually that that's actually an excellent, um, analogy because as I recall, he, it was, a, he was thought of or accused of being racist. And I think like his wife put, had a video on Twitter or something where she talked about it. And I mean, the idea that you think yeah, Bilber is ra racist is hilarious to me. It, it is at least hilarious. And, you know, and you know, you know <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know people that don't know who he is. He's a, he's a white comedian that's married to a black woman and now has a mixed child himself. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, 
I guess some people would say that doesn't necessarily qualify you as a non-racist person, but I think it's just a different mindset. You know, I've been I've been reading uh, Thomas Sewell's uh, A Conflict of Vision, and it really, I think it does come down that there are two different ways of looking at the world. You know, some people think that we can create all equality. It can be, we can force equality so that everything is equal. And, and, and without going into great detail about this, there are other people that think you can start out equal, but your individual success is your own challenge in life. And, and I'm of that mindset. I don't think, I think we should start with equality at a young age and make sure like the education system, the education system in our country sucks. I will flat out say that it is a socialized program that's not being used very well because if it was evenly dispersed across our country, you wouldn't have inner city kids where the teacher has to buy books for the kids because the school can't afford it. That doesn't make sense. It's not evenly dispersed. The next neighborhood over is a wealthy white neighborhood where the kids have anything they want. They have an indoor swimming pool in the wintertime, you know? So, right. so, so in my how mind, would you fix that? What's that? How would I fix the, the education, education system? system? How would you fix that? Well, this is where I don't sound like a libertarian. And I think if you're going to have a public system, which is a socialist idea, it needs to be fair across the board. Every school in this country should have the same funding and it should be divided equally for every school in the country. Public schools, that is, you know, so that yeah, doesn't matter how bad the neighborhood is. They got the same thing as the rich kids. Well, but, I mean, okay, go ahead. But now as a libertarian, honestly, I don't think that's going to solve the problem either. You know, I think, I think uh, education in this country is such a difficult thing because for one I think there's too many students per uh, per a classroom. I know in my case, there was 30 students or more, and the teacher hardly had time to interact with me one-on-one, and therefore, most of the time, I screwed off and did whatever I wanted. You know, as long as I passed my tests, it didn't matter. And And I think that there's... Most of the education comes from the social interaction with the other children... Which is a good thing. I think it is a good thing. But I also think as parents, we've gotten far away from parents actually teaching our children stuff. You know, everybody wants to just send the kid off to school and the school handles all forms of education. But, it, you know, prior to a couple hundred years ago, it wasn't really like that. You know, a father taught his son, a mother taught the daughter and you know, I'm not going to get into the gender roles and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Well, I'm just but saying. But you're right. I mean, and, you know, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I'm not saying we need to get back to this, like, women need to be women. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that parents, regardless of gender, need to teach their children. You need to talk to your children. You need to explain the world to your children. And... and I feel like that's where a lot of us fell short, you and know? You want to hear, I mean, here's a story. 
um, about how crazy our education system is. Um, I used to interview people. I still interview people, but I used to interview people in a different medium. Okay. Okay. Um, and I interviewed this guy. He was an elderly fella. It was him and his sister, right? And they spent the entire, the entirety of World War II, actually before World War II even technically kicked off, right? All through sure. into the 40s um, in a cave in the Ukraine, escaping really? the Nazis, okay? This man became a doctor. He, he was able to immigrate to America and become a doctor in spite of the fact that he'd spent how many, let me get it right. He'd spent like six years or six or seven years in a cave, literally in a cave. Wow. If you think about it, that's a big indictment of our education system right there. Um, you know, (laughs) so when we, when this is a constant conversation that I have with my, uh, one co-host about when you really start traveling the world and look at American education and American, uh, not even the education system, but just American culture and the benefits we have of being an American as opposed to the rest of the world, it really becomes a, a very slanted uh, perspective. You know, I think it's extremely difficult. I think most veterans are grumpy because honestly, it's hard to come back and see how trivial American life is compared to some third world nation where people are truly struggling. You know, Americans in this country have a bad habit of saying those foreigners are taking our jobs. And I sympathize with the foreigners because I've been to their country and I've seen what poor really looks like. And to me, I always think if I was that poor, I would do absolutely anything possible to provide for my family. I love my wife and children that much. I would cross a border illegally and work anywhere I could because even the smallest amount of money that I could make in that country is worth phenomenally more in my country. It's a no brainer, you know? Yeah. So what I'm getting at is, is, uh, in a nutshell, I think Americans are spoiled. I think they're, they're ridiculously spoiled. We have the luxury of having a shitty education system and still being relatively extremely wealthy compared to most third world nations. We have, we, I'll tell you what, we have the luxury of looking at somebody and saying you're overqualified for this job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we have that luxury. We have the luxury of saying, I talked to a lady in um, Venezuela and she told me about just the, the hell on wheels that she's got to live through. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> you know, not to take a pop shot, but for all the Americans out there that are, that are pushing socialist ideas, I really want to encourage them to listen to that episode because 
I have never met a person from a socialist nation that says it's great and they can't wait to go back, you know? And I know that sounds like some idiot right-wing stuff that I'm saying, but it's, it's not. We're Americans living in a capitalist nation, extremely fortunate to be born on this ball of dirt, so-called United States of America. <laughs> like we're very, very fortunate people. We are so spoiled that we can discuss how we can screw it all up. You know, like we, we have the right. luxury, the freedom to say, you know what? I think Marxist uh, had it right. And we can just fix all this. If we change it 180 degrees in the opposite direction, that's nuts, man. That's how much freedom Americans have. You well, can't, you can't mention capitalism in Venezuela or Cuba or North Korea. You can't yeah. mention it. If you mention it, you you go in a black bag and you may get hung from the wall, you know? Well, what's okay, so I live in Atlanta and in Atlanta you have um, you know, we have a Cuban community here, right? Sure. Um, it doesn't get the publicity that the one in Miami gets, but we have a Cuban community. So, so I have fr I grew up with friends that were Cuban. So, but being their friend, like you really hear about like different things and you hear about how Che really was, Che Guevara. Sure. And every time I would go to college and see like some white kid in a Che Guevara t-shirt, I would always be like, finally one day I was like, you know what? You never see a Hispanic person in a Che Guevara t-shirt. Honest to God. Yeah, that's true. You don't you don't ever see that. <laughs> you know. And, you know, and like I said, I, I don't want to I don't want to derail the conversation and start bashing uh socialist ideas. I know that mainly this stems from people wanting universal health coverage and and me my particular answer is I think I think we just need more affordable health care. I think it's a little absurd that in the United States we pay phenomenally more than the rest of the world because I don't know somebody thought well we have more money and we can afford it but but no the middle class and lower class definitely can't afford it so it's a failing system Well to me what's to me the thing I think when you look at um so I don't know that I'm all on board for what they call Medicare for all, but I am on board for something more affordable or more, I, more affordable or whatever. Yeah. But the people that say, okay, so the people that say, well, if it's that, if it's that way, then you're still going to have, but you have problems and here's some of the problems. I listen to that and I say, have you ever gone nine rounds with an insurance company about X, Y, Z? Because I have. And let me tell you what, you're describing the same thing. Just a private company is doing it to you and not the government. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and God knows, let's remind them about the DMV lines. Okay. Let's, I'm all I'm saying is, is imagine if your healthcare line was like the DMV line. You take your ticket and you go sit down and wait for this lady to call you. And it might be five hours from now. 
that's yeah. my that's my take on it. So, well, yeah, but and that's okay. This is going to really derail because in in my city, um, so I live in I don't I don't know if you've heard me say this on my podcast, but I live in one of the fastest growing places in northern North America. Sure. <laughs> so, that's actually something that happens a lot here. Is like you'll sit for hours, you know, yeah. in so-called free country with good healthcare and all the rest. But hey, um, let's get back on topic. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Um, so tell me so, about where do you think this goes with the cancel? Is this with the cancel culture? Is this sort of a uh, a phase, or is it? the prelude to something else. Um, I, you know, so I think it's extremely difficult for me to, this is the thing. I'll give you my answer and it's going to sound like I'm a crazy conspiracy right wing nut. And I have to just say that I don't think it's going to get better, you know? And I think that the more limitations the government or private industries or corporations or whoever, you know, some government three-lettered agency starts regulating the information that we are have available to us, then we're easier to control. And I, I know, I know I sound like a crazy conspiracy person, but, but it really is like that. If you attempt to Google certain things right now, Google will not show them to you. You know, it's it's just they removed that word or phrases or whatever. Go look up QAnon. And I know QAnon is a crazy conspiracy, a cult or whatever, but just for fun. I'm not saying you have to believe their ideas. Try to Google it. Try to look it up and see what it is. You can't find it. And why is that? I'm not saying that I'm not saying it's true and you need to go believe it. I'm saying it's still information that should be available to you. If it's, if we live in a free speech country, why can't you look up anything? You know? So, um, I personally believe that it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better, you know? And I'm one of these people that believes that, you know, this is going to sound real bad, but I think our country is due for another revolution, honestly. And not not a race war, nothing like that. But I think it's political ideas. I think it's, we are dividing so far that I think it's going to come down to two different political affiliations is really what it's going to be. I don't even think it's, I mean, first of all, I talk to people all over the world. And... I think you're right. I don't think it's a revolution, a violent revolution coming per se, but I do think there's going to be this moment where certain folks decide they don't have to live with other certain folks in the same yep. country. I do think that's coming along. Uh, and what's fascinating is everybody I've spoken with says essentially the same thing. You know, and like and that that's kind of alarming to me that we can all see that this is a real possibility, 
but but nobody is taking personal responsibility and attempting to mend the wound. You know, there's there's a wound here. You know, in my eyes, I see I see it maybe because I I spend so much time looking at politics, but I see two different ways of viewing the world, whether that's conservative and progressiveness or liberal, you know, like liberalism, whatever this may be. And I think that there's so much resentment towards the other side. And I just wonder what would it take to heal that? How do we heal these, these, these resentments towards each other? I don't know how you heal it, but I have an idea of how it's going to split up for real, real. <laughs> Let's hear and it. I'm, is, I'm ready. Okay. What if you got Ebola? What if you had Ebola that didn't come from Africa? What if it came from somewhere in this part of North America, right? And what if, honestly, the American people had to realize that our that our healthcare system was unequal. Okay, so if somebody has health insurance and they have Ebola, right, they can go to where I live with their health insurance and they can get fixed up pretty quick, right? But if you don't have health insurance and or you don't live somewhere where there's really good hospitals in this country, you're going to have a problem with Ebola. And not only are you going to have a problem, but so are your neighbors. Okay? Mm. And that's where I think we're... Because here's the thing. Okay, I say this a lot. Here's the thing that I think The Walking Dead got wrong. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There would be people who did not believe the zombies were real. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. Right? In The Walking Dead, you would have people who did not believe the zombies were real. Okay? So you would have people who didn't think Ebola was real. Okay? Sure. Well, there's definitely people out there nowadays that are... um, But this is... That's a part of the bigger problem. You know? I mean, in my mind... I think the first problem that the government might actually have a, a possible way of solving is the um, we don't trust the media outlets at all anymore. I think most Americans would say that most Americans, whether they're left or right leaning, would say that particular outlet only says this and this one says that. And we know this. We Everybody knows this. But where do we go to get just the bare bones information. What's and I think that this is that this is where the government could actually have some kind of uh I don't know enforcement or or like some uh, way fa- of yeah. Are you familiar with the fairness doctrine? Uh, I am not. Okay, so the fairness doctrine used to be in force, and it said that the media had to cover both sides of the story. And they had to tell you they were covering both sides of the story. Really? Right? They had to say, this is the liberal side. This is the conservative side. Okay. Well, what happened? <laughs> Ronald Reagan took it away. Oh. 
Ronald Reagan, they, they decided that was not uh, free speech, basically. Actually, here's something that I know because I'm on Twitter. Uh, okay, people sue Fox News all the time, okay? All right. Okay. Fox News goes into court, okay? And Fox News says we're not a news pro we're not a news channel. Therefore, nobody can credibly say nobody can credibly believe what we say. Because what we say is so ridiculous that nobody should believe it. But they don't say that in public. Okay. Huh. Right. So I can't even, okay, so here you are, a libertarian, and I got you to agree with me that the fairness doctrine is a good idea. I mean, I would definitely have to research and understand what was Reagan's motives behind getting rid of it. And I'm not saying that Reagan's some great, you know, American president and, and had all great ideas. No, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but I'm I'm definitely curious as to what what it says word for word and especially by your saying that his accusation is that it's not free speech or um i don't know i think yeah. that it's not necessary I, I don't know like to me not free speech so you he's saying that you should be able to make your own opinions on what the news is he's saying you should be able to say he's saying if you're a news channel you should be able to say whatever you want. And it's up to the individual person to go around and basically find another news channel that they agree with or whatever. And that's what got us into the hellscape in which we live now. Yeah. You know well, what I'm saying? Then I guess I can honestly say that this is a system that did not work. And um, it's not, it's not working. I think I think in this particular case, you're right. You know, that is definitely something that needs to happen. Listen, as a libertarian, and, and I've always said that I'm not 100% libertarian. I, I have said that on my show. And, and I think even in the conversation you had with me and my co-hosts on my show, that um, not all libertarian ideas are great ideas. I, I will openly say that, you know, Um as for personal responsibility, I, I do believe that, but I also think that when it comes to trusting where your news comes from, no, I don't think you should put your spin on it and, and try to boost your ratings by uh, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever means you can. I, I think that this is the particular issue of why we're in this scenario we are now. Exactly. I mean... I totally, I mean, I'm not going to say that we're opposites in the political spectrum because I don't think we are, but I do think we have a lot more common ground on a lot of things than, than we might have thought originally or whatever, specifically about, you know, cancel culture and other stuff well, too. I think you're a pretty open-minded guy. I think that I, I think I, I try to be, I mean, unless, yeah, you know, unless, uh, I have been encountering somebody that's very strong and, and, um, you know, uh, imposing with their political beliefs. Then I have a tendency to, uh, rebel and, and try to prove my point, but, but that's not the conversation we're having right now. And I think that at the end of the day, 
you know, I'm fascinated to talk to you because I know that you do not necessarily agree with all of my ideas, but, but you're open-minded enough to, to at least listen to me. And, and maybe like you said, like, like the name of my particular podcast, we can, we can bridge the divide. My, my show is called the American divide and we have to have yeah. conversations, even though we don't necessarily agree on things. And you're right. I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of stuff that I'm sure we haven't even touched yet that we would probably agree on. I think most Americans are concerned with the basic things, being able to feed ourselves, being able to house ourselves, you know, maintaining a job. And these are all normal things in American culture, but everybody seems to overcomplicate it. (laughs) Like I'll give you an example. Okay. I'll give you an example of something you just hit on. I talked with a lady who is a lawyer, okay? Okay. On my podcast, and she is really far to the left, ideologically. Okay. But I talked with her about homelessness, okay? Now, if she threw at you the statistics in this country about homelessness and what the government is doing in some cases to cause this homelessness, okay? You sure. would be appalled. Anybody would be appalled that this is happening. All right. Anybody would. Sure. It's just amazing. It's stunning that in the land of the free, you have 34 vacant houses or vacant structures per homeless person in this country. That's yeah. insane. I mean, that's literally insane. And she goes into why it is. Like, she goes into the legal reasons as to why that is and it's literally just like i'm literally listening to that i'm literally going what are we doing in our country our priorities are just (laughs) you know like oh my god well and it's tough because there's so many different answers i mean is the government at fault i think they are but i also think that there are there's just so many more the problem with any issue, I'm, I'm going to divert for a little bit. The problem with any particular issue is that there's no one thing or person to blame. You know, like, for instance, let's discuss the previous president, Donald Trump. Everybody likes to point at him and say, Donald, you're the reason all these racist people are popping up and you're the reason there's not one person to blame. There's not one, one government entity to blame. So, you know, like, like when you mention homelessness to me, the first thing that pops in my head, I'm a veteran and I think, all right, well, how many homeless veterans are there? And, you know, are they aware that the VA hospital will take them at any moment? I mean, the deal is, is if you go to the VA hospital, you're going to have to do some, uh, substance abuse, treatment and and get off of any you know uh drugs or alcohol that you may be on but after that they will house you up to two years you know i know that for a fact because i spent time at the va hospital and this is this is just normal thing that they do for veterans i I didn't know the vas would house you for two years yes yep they'll house you they'll even help you try to find a job in the local town where the, the the hospital is and you know, they have good programs to try and get veterans back on their feet. Now, 
the reason I mention this is because sometimes in Philadelphia, where I live, I do see people holding signs saying that they're a homeless veteran. And again, this is going to make me sound harsh, but I, but this is, let me explain myself is I don't have sympathy for a person that says they're a homeless veteran because I know that there are places where they can go. In fact, I have stopped my car and had conversations and asked guys, Hey, you know, are you aware that the VA will take you? Oh, I know. I know. I just, you know, everybody just hymns and hauls when I give them an answer. So I know that this isn't all veterans. I know some guys get the shaft and they're not aware of their particular uh, options. And that's why I stop and volunteer my time to go try to, you know, possibly educate a veteran on what they can and can't do, you know, but, um, I don't necessarily know if, uh, so, so I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I I just don't think that the government is entirely to blame. And I know that that's, uh, that must sound silly coming from a a libertarian (laughs) that believes in less government, but, (laughs) but they're not entirely at fault. I think the, I think that the person themselves needs to take a little personal responsibility if you don't want to be homeless here in America, I have a hard time being a little sympathetic because there are lots of places for people to go if they're homeless. You know, I think well, some what about, people okay, enjoy being homeless. Okay. What about this? Let me, let me see if I can say this right. Say like you're a person, right? Who you, um, you suffer from something the VA doesn't officially acknowledge. Okay. Doesn't acknowledge. Say, okay. Say you're a veteran and you suffer from a thing that happened to you, but the VA doesn't acknowledge that this thing happened or that not that you went on some crazy mission or whatever, but they don't like, Oh, that sickness doesn't exist or that's not what causes that or whatever. Yeah. Like some of the people with um, Agent Orange or there was the, what's the thing with the trash pits in Iraq and Afghanistan? You know what I'm um, talking about? I do know what you're talking about, but I can't recall what it's called. But there was a, guys were, yeah. were having uh, respiratory problems because they breathed in basically diesel fumes and, and, and poop and pee oh, that they were burning. You know? It was worse than that. I mean, like, you know, I've talked to people both in my real life and for this podcast that, you know, it's, it's astonishing that anybody thought I get it that they're kids, you know, I get it that a lot of these people are kids. Sure. It's astonishing that somebody didn't go, wait a second. What are you doing? Yeah. You're doing what? (laughs) Well, it was a common practice. I mean, up until pretty recent, you know, I mean, guys, when I served, were still doing this. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like you dig this huge pit and you put all this stuff in it and you're not, I mean, there's no segregation. There's no whatever. And yeah. you just burn it. And you're breathing in all the bacteria and all the, uh, you know, bad stuff. Yeah. Right, right. What do you say to that person that the VA doesn't want to treat that? Because. Well, I mean, like I said, they do, maybe they do now, but I know at one time they didn't want to treat it. Oh, they definitely didn't. And and the Vietnam era guys definitely got the shaft because, you know, 
we live in a generation now and young kids aren't, aren't going to understand this, but there wasn't always computers with computer uh, records. You know, the Vietnam era guys, they would flat out tell them guys, oh yeah, we lost your records. We don't know who you are. You know, show us a DD-214 and maybe we'll uh, file a claim for you. And they got shafted. You know, a lot of them guys got shafted and a lot of them can't, they don't have a DD-214 because they lost this single piece of paper, the most important piece of paper that they'll ever have. I mean, I have mine in a locked cabinet because it is really that important. And I can get another copy nowadays, but once upon a time, they told me this is better than your birth certificate. You need to keep this somewhere extremely safe. And um, why don't you why don't you pretend I have no idea what a DD two fourteen is and tell me what a DD two fourteen is? So a DD two fourteen is when you are discharged from the military service, any branch doesn't matter. They give you a form, a military form that is basically a written history and record of what you did in the military. And, uh, and it, it has details on there of, you know, like if you deployed, it'll have a little section where it says where you deployed to and what, what medals you may have received. And it definitely mentions if you were honorably or dishonorably or general discharged. And, um, it's, uh, it's a signed notarized form that you served in the military, you know, and if you lose that, once upon a time, if you lost that, there was no proof that you served in the military. And therefore, the VA could just totally deny you. And and they did. They did do this to guys. You know, they did it to black men once upon a time, long time ago. They just lied and just said, no, can't find your records. I don't know who you are. And, you know, it's it's a bleak part of our history that doesn't get talked about, but it happened. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that DD-214 is essentially your passport to uh, veterans' benefits, essentially. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. And and so to answer your question originally, you know, when the VA doesn't want to acknowledge uh, a certain disability, they definitely have done that. I mean, you know, like I said, there's there's an exception to every rule, and the government definitely shafted the veterans as often as they could. I mean, uh, Ben from my particular show, um, explained the history of, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, but after world war one, all these veterans came home and yep. Yep. one I of know the exactly presidents, what you're talking. yep. Yeah. It, it was, it was called some kind of war. It was, um, it's, it was right outside of D.C. They had all these little camps where all these veterans were living at, literally. Um, and they went in and started shooting at them because they wouldn't leave. <laughs> they wanted yeah. their veterans' benefits. They wanted their veterans' benefits early. Yeah. Um, yeah, instead yeah. of 20 years later after the war. <laughs> yeah. And also, I thought you were going to talk about um, mustard gas. Um uh. Well, a lot of guys were exposed to mustard gas and there was a big kerfuffle about that. Yeah. Um, and also with the, the Spanish flu. Yeah. Um, right. Well, so even my generation, I mean, um, what they were exposed to or like, for instance, with me, they 
they pumped me full of anthrax because they said, um, hey, you need to take these shots. <laughs> so when people ask me about COVID-19 and they're like, hey, you want to get a vaccination? I'm like, no. The last time the government told me that I had to get a, you know, a shot, it was anthrax. And I, I was terrified and, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a whole so other the story. So wait a minute. The government tested, gave you anthrax. And- uh, they gave me... I think three of the five shots because I got out of the military before I was done my, my series of them. But, um, yeah, yeah, they, they, when you're a soldier, you have literally no rights. I mean, they tell you what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it. And they, your body is their, their, um, it's theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Their property. And, and therefore, if they tell you you're getting an anthrax shot, there is no choice, you know? So, um, yep. So I got some anthrax shots and, and, um, who knows, maybe I'll have some kind of reaction to that someday. I hope not. It's been a long enough time that I assume it would have happened by now. So. Jesus. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe man. you're immune to, I mean, I don't know if you <laughs> can be immune to anthrax, but. <laughs> Nah, I'm good now. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people around me have gotten COVID-19 and um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying people that I've interacted with or or touched or kissed or whatever, but we've been pretty blessed in this house that that my wife, me and my kids, none of us have have gotten it as far as we know. But um, I joked about not getting the vaccination. I'm really on the fence. I am nervous because it seems extremely rushed to me, but, um, I guess if, uh, all goes well and and people don't die, then I'll probably have to go get it. Honestly. I don't like the fact that the government is forcing this and telling people that you can't travel, you can't do anything unless you get this. I mean, that, you know, like I said earlier, man, I'm a libertarian and I get real nervous anytime the government tells me I need to do something. (laughs) I don't know, man. I mean, I get the whole not traveling bit. I do. Oh, honestly. Um, yeah. But, Lord knows, I've had to prove that I was vaccinated for... Well, I'm so old. I had to prove I was vaccinated or Jehovah's Witness. Uh, for various and sundry times, I got educated. So, you know... <laughs> You had to prove to Jehovah's Witnesses that you oh, were vaccinated. Oh, okay. I had to prove in my. I'm. I just made a joke. In oh. my state, the only back in the day, back in the time, the only way you could say not that I don't that I'm not being vaccinated for that was if I was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, that's the same up here. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I can't I mean, claim my, that though. I, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not uh I'm not that good of an actor. <laughs> my my mother actually had a story about how back in the like back in the stone ages um you if you weren't vaccinated your superintendent could go to jail. Yeah. Like if you're a kid and you're not vaccinated your superintendent could go to jail. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, well, Georgia had, um, oh, God, what was that? Georgia had really bad. Um, well, Savannah had cholera. 
like in the 30s and 40s. Okay. Um, Savannah used to get cholera all the time, literally on the regular. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was crazy. I'll I'll fill you in when we download this podcast. That's a that's a story for maybe not for air, <laughs> but <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, there, well, I'm trying to remember the disease that we had that you can get vaccinated for that was really bad back in the time, and I can't okay. remember it. But it was while my mom was work. It was while she was young as a teacher. That you had to prove that you had you were vaccinated for that. Hmm. I cannot remember what the hell it was. Um, well, yeah, there you go. All right, uh, Tuna, do you want to say say your piece about your podcast and tell all the people about the American Divide? And sure, like sure. Come check us out if you if you want to hear. Uh, I'm a libertarian. Um, my other co-host is a democratic socialist, and then. Brother Ben is my uh, third co-host, who's a, uh, you know, like an amateur historian. He's he's not uh, of that profession, but he je- definitely just enjoys great history. And the premise of our show is we do not debate. We, um, we have civil conversations about modern political topics and um, try to work our way through it. And Ben, you were a guest on our show and had a great conversation with you and Hopefully we can continue this great relationship. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I would love to, I would be humbled and would love to come back. And this was the, honestly, I've tried to circle around this topic a lot. And this is the best conversation I've had about the cancel culture. Nice. I gotta say. Well, I'm glad I could help out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All, All right, right, everybody. Ben. This is Ben Kitchings. Of the History Voyagers saying goodbye. And uh, like always, I'm having a good day and I hope you are too. Here we go, Tuna.